0: I don't even remember what we're doing. (laughs) I didn't even. That was was not intentional.
1: (laughs) But incredibly appropriate. I've
0: forgotten the story already. (laughs) I've forgotten words.
1: All right, welcome to the Codex Cantina where I am Una.
0: And I am I don't know who crypto. I am crypto.
1: If you are new to the Codex Cantina, we go heavy into detail into the books and stories that we read. Today we are doing the Memory Police by Yoko. Ogawa. And we're going to go heavy into detail and bring out some of the interpretations and meanings behind that. And I can tell you from a lot of people that I've talked to is that this is a little bit of a struggle for many people in terms of what it could possibly mean. So if you're down for literature discussions like that, please hit that subscribe button.
0: And as always, we start off with publication information. And The Memory Police was published in 1994. A lot of people think that it is a lot newer. And it was translated to English in 2019 by Steven Snyder. And that's why. It's actually a pretty old story.
1: New to us, right? Not new to Japan.
0: (laughs) New to to us. Yeah, new to us.
1: Now, with this coming out here recently, I think publishing distribution presented a little bit of a challenge here when they're trying to market this to Western audiences, right? Because I think what they tried to do is go down more the sci-fi route. This is an Orwellian tale, you know? This is like Fahrenheit 451, if you love Ray Bradbury. Trying to sell it to the dystopian sci-fi based crowd which i don't know if that was totally appropriate now with that said i i think finding the right home for this is super hard because okay it's definitely not plot based like i wouldn't recommend this story for someone that's like i need a great plot Mm -mm, not this piece no but the (laughs) but the opposite of plot is typically in my mind character piece right
0: and they yeah and there's not a lot here for character substance either sort of
1: right maybe one character Right, and it's just a little bit weak on the character side too. So what do we have? What we have is a, a novel created from a lot of thematic play where it felt like these you get a lot of vignettes from these characters' lives, but it seems like I wanted to bring out this emotion in this scene. I wanted to give my characters this feeling, but it was all about that thematic play more so than the actual character or plot as a whole. And I think that's kind of different for a lot of readers.
0: I think that's where a lot of people got confused and they immediately went to their computers and, you know, started going on message boards and went to YouTube. And what is the meaning of this or what What does the ending mean or what was the point of this story? Because they had so many feelings by the end of the story, it was hard to compartmentalize and digest those.
1: Right. Because I think, OK, let's take one of the thematic elements that she plays with a lot, and that's loss in this story. And just to say that this is a story about loss really misses the point because it's 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 when that loss happens, what she's really exploring is how the characters deal with that. They deal with it in different ways. They look at it in different ways with how they even approach whether that loss is important, whether they should ignore it, whether they should try to live with it. It's actually more interesting to see the the elements of where the themes and the characters interact more so than the actual characters or themes themselves
0: i felt like with the loss a lot of it was coming to the the acceptance of loss is that you're going to lose stuff in life and you have to be okay with that especially with like ours mom right
1: now one last warning i will give people is mine the hardcover print has a couple of different font variations where when she's writing a novel, it's going to use a heavily italicized font, as opposed to when the narrator's talking or the main characters are acting out things. You have just a traditional font, and you can see that the, the stories shift with that font change. Well, on my version of Kindle, but not some of my friends that I've talked to, my version, the font doesn't change at all. So it was really hard to tell sometimes when I was using my Kindle version, whether I was in the story within a story or the actual story itself.
0: And I have your Kindle version, so I suffered the same fate.
1: Well, and I've even heard that the narration on the audiobook was attempted to be a little bit different, but sometimes it was hard to tell. So just be careful that there's some story in a story parts in this, and it can sometimes be hard depending on your format to know where you are.
0: I didn't listen to like the audible version or anything, but I can imagine after reading this story, this is one that I would say 1000% do not listen to your first go through. Because if they didn't have amazing inflection on when the narrator's speaking, you would be so lost listening to this book. I really, really think you need to read it the first time through.
1: Now, in terms of plot, I'm going to keep this one very synopsis-like in the sense that uh, this is really a story about an unnamed narrator who's a novelist who goes through a lot of loss. She loses her parents. She loses friends. She loses things. And part of that loss is driven by this weird thing where on this island, things just disappear. You have things like roses. They wake up one day, are gone. They don't know what the purpose of the rose is, and they find themselves taking roses to the river and washing the rivers away. There's a part where they lose books. Novels are no longer a thing. So looking at a novel, you can't write them anymore. You forget how to do that. You go to these big burn piles, and you burn uh, all your your novels. So, so So noun by noun, object by object, this island is losing memories. They're losing objects. And there's this organization, a faceless organization called the Memory Police, who enforce that. Some people don't forget everything. Or some people kind of hide some of those things that are being disappeared. And the Memory Police enforce that those go away. And they're looking for people who who are outside the system of forgetting things and and take them away and and does who knows what with it. But, But the whole piece kind of leads towards this idea of loss.
0: And I think this is where they try to capture on that sci-fi element that magically all the items are disappeared and everybody's memories disappear of it as well. And so it gives that element of, well, this could only happen in some type of sci-fi setting, dystopian future, and they paint it very bleak that all these terrible things happen as a result of a loss. And that's really not true, I feel like, through a majority of the stories you go through. Like when they lose, lose birds, for example, uh, and you see what happens to the guy that was the bird watcher. Uh, it, it 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 doesn't play out as, as you think you would in a traditional sci-fi setting. And I think that's where a lot of people might have got confused if they went into this book thinking because they bought it from the sci-fi section in the store they're like wait a minute that makes no sense in your traditional sci-fi setting
1: right you're not going to get a ton of realism with this piece formalism is kind of eschewed and you're just going to have to kind of go with the flow and just live with your own interpretations which is what I think most people feel most uncomfortable with. They want that resolution. They wanna to be told that they're right. They wanna to be told that this is what this means and you're not going to get that with this book.
0: Because a lot of times in our fantasy and sci-fi stories, they explain things so explicitly of how magic works or how something is done. And this book is not gonna do that to you. You have to do that internally and that's gonna make people maybe not enjoy this work as a result.
1: So let's talk about a couple of different the interpretations and then we'll kind of dig into one or two of them. I've got a really unique one that I'm excited to kind of go through. Okay. So some of the themes we've got or interpretations. We have wartime, right? The idea that war takes everything from you. Your comforts disappear. You kind of see that with the characters in this where they start to lose things and they're starting to live more on the scraps. It kind of feels like maybe the country's at war in a sense. Um, they're even hiding an innocent boy, which kind of felt very Anne Frank. And there's even an article that we'll leave down below that kind of talks about how this author, Yoko Ogawa, had an obsession with Anne Frank as a younger woman.
0: Yeah, and in this, I feel like that everybody loses their identity in war, and you all become one, and there is no individuality. And mm-hmm. here I have a quote from the, the the story. It says, absolutely still, like little animals in hibernation, sending me no signal at all. And I feel like that everybody kind of stops what they're doing. And you don't really interact with one another as you're in that wartime mode. Uh, life becomes very bland. And that's what you kind of feel in this story as this loss continues to occur.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we'll go more into that one. Uh, another popular theme that I can, I imagine is going to be used a lot is getting older and dealing with the loss. As we get older, we start to lose things, whether that be just due to forgetfulness. If you don't use it, you lose it type mentality, or even just the war of numbers. As you get older, some people aren't going to make it just due to tragedies, due to moving away, due to losing the war against things such as cancer or natural disasters. You're going to lose people throughout your life. The story can kind of be viewed as the idea that as you get older, you start to lose things, things that are important to you. And that loss is, is can impact a person is one of the interpretations that I think people will take.
0: Yeah. And then what do I do once I've lost something? Or how do you treat somebody else when you know they have lost something?
1: Well, and it's even explored with like this quote here. I wonder whether the story will remain after I disappear, talking about the novel. Ooh, that's,
0: that's, it, that's deep, right? Because you're like, what will happen to the world when I am gone?
1: Well, or even just me and you, if one of us were to pass away suddenly, you kind of live on just in my memory, right? Like We just talked about in a talk recently, you'd probably be replaced within a day or two at work by a, some just random sub teacher right yeah but it's in my heart the experiences that we have that i that i would still have you living on in inside my own mind right and the the response to that quote in the book was of course it will each word you write will continue to exist as a memory here in my heart which will not disappear
0: And i guess it's that fear of what happens if it disappeared from your memory too like say i suddenly died and then you're 70 years old and you, you're like, oh, I remember I had this friend, you know, that we did videos like 50 years ago. I can't remember his name. Like, yeah. that's scary, right?
1: Yeah, it's like Mama Coco in the Disney movie Coco. No! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another angle is the feminism angle with being trapped and forced into things. Now, this is probably a little bit more relevant in the story, in a story with the typist being captured by someone. But uh, it's very poignant with her losing her voice. And maybe even having a little bit of Stockholm Syndrome in the very end of, of finally having feelings for the person that she's being subjected to.
0: Yeah, and I know that I thought that this kind of hit home to maybe the, the one-child policy where you're limited to the number of children that you're allowed to have. And that idea of, of women wanting to have children, uh, again, that's something you could take away as well.
1: Uh, another really popular one, this is different from War, but I wrote totalitarian totalitarianism rule with its impact on the people and it's very important that this isn't about the totalitarian government in my opinion because we never learn anything about the memory police we never learn anything about why things disappear this is all about the impacts on the people living under a totalitarianism rule
0: yeah and i got a couple quotes here from the story that i think that will help set people's mind at ease that you're not going to know about the government and it's there but we don't learn much about why it's doing this or how it's doing this. And so from the story, it says, horrible things were about to happen, the novelist reports. But somehow we felt increasingly calm. Like, where do you go with that, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I had another quote. It said, important things remain important things, he pleaded. No, how mm. Important things remain important things, he pleads, no matter how much the world changes. Yeah. I can see that. So I think that, you know, the government can change or the government cannot change, but to whatever's important in your life is going to stay important to your life, regardless of maybe what the government is going to tell you. And in this story, you're not going to get any of that, that those detailed things about this government, like, oh, this is X, Y, and Z.
1: You can, you can change my actions, but you can't change my heart, right?
0: Yeah. Or can you?
1: Um now one of one of my favorite interpretations is the one that I will go more into detail on and that this is, is all within someone's mind. This is the idea of the Ambrose Ambrose Bierce plot line uh recently redone with the Life of Chuck with the idea that in our mind we have visions or thoughts of people of characters, and we play out roles, we play out actions in our mind. The idea being this whole this whole book, the ending NA narrator are all of that is within someone's mind. And I'm going to have some unique points, I think, to bring out that will kind of make this this interpretation a little bit more fun. And then one of the last ones that I want to bring up, um, Crypto and I have done a lot of research on Shinto in terms of the Japanese organization and government, in a sense. <laughs> but yeah. you, you have environmentalism as a theme here, but you cannot separate that from Shinto. Because the idea in, in the old Shinto lore is creation is much more important than the destruction of things, right? The old... Creation Story of Japan, I'll put a link to our old you know, video discussion where we talked about it very briefly. But the idea is that for every 1,500 lives that the gods were going to create, the other gods that were about destruction were only going to be able to take 1,000. And every time they tried to destroy more, the gods of creation would create more. Shinto is very much about this universal life force, in a sense, to put it at a very, very high level, that we're all connected, we're all part of this environment, and we all need to create towards, moving towards purity and creation more so than impurity and destruction. And and that's much more important to a Japanese culture where this was written than it is maybe to an American culture where the environmental thing, you're not quite sure what that means. You have to keep that tied together with the Shinto ideals of creation and purity.
0: Yeah, I think being very... If you're, I think that if you're just flipping about it and saying, oh, this is definitely religion, you're missing a lot on it. And you could say, yes, this story does have a lot to do with the meaning of life, but I don't think that you could hammer home that this is a uh, a religious piece. You have to know that how Shinto is so embedded differently in their culture than, say, an American culture and how religion is embedded in ours.
1: And I was talking with our friend Michael Nip the other day. I'll put a link to his channel down below. All of these interpretations kind of hit a couple of rough spots. Like, there's not one interpretation that fits across this entire novel completely. All of these interpretations have best spots that kind of fit which is probably adds to the frustration I think some people have when it comes to extracting value out of this book, where they're like, oh, I really like this idea, but I didn't really know what this scene meant in regards to that idea. And that's that you kind of have bits and pieces of this that apply to different parts of the novel.
0: I think that's important because that's what you're going to get out of the novel, and I think that's why it's so captivating, and I think that's why it's such an amazing piece is that 10 people can read this, and they're all going to see what is the most important piece to them, and they're going to get that, and that that's fine, and you can be okay with not understanding the other pieces because it doesn't apply to you.
1: All right, so let me start off with the interpretation of we are all in the mind of someone in this book, and I just got a couple of things that I think I think are just really, really interesting. So to go through a couple of examples, let's start with the idea of the phantom limb syndrome, okay? So sometimes when people have body parts that are amputated for for specific reasons, they'll have these twinges, these feelings, like the part's still there. So if I had to have my arm removed for some reason, maybe when I do a particular activity and my arm's no longer attached to my body, I'll suddenly have this feeling of, of my fingertips twitching even though I no longer have my arm, okay? And a lot of that has to do with how the brain is kind of wired with the parts that would typically handle motion and and movements and sensations and body parts. Well, they no longer have a use, right? Does that part of the brain just die? No, it starts to get rewritten with new activities. I'm going to start using this part of the brain to do other things perhaps. And when it's doing those other things, it might activate the old pathways that start to kind of make you think about how you used to feel or sense in that hand. And it gives the idea that the hand or sensation of that limb is still attached, even though it's not there.
0: Science.
1: So in the story, we wake up one day with the legs being gone. And I think it's kind of interesting the way they talk about how people cope with it, right? They talk about how they would use, the hat maker would use his umbrella. Some people would rely on friends and stuff like that. But the idea was that just because things disappeared didn't mean they actually disappeared in this world. And that's the idea of the phantom limb is that the limb is still there even though the usage of it is still gone. You can still feel it there and it's not actually having been removed in the mind right this is all in the mind in this type of an interpretation
0: so could you maybe say that through the story those things really aren't gone they just aren't recognizing them anymore like there still really are birds and there are the bees and there are books but they don't see them anymore like you wouldn't see your legs
1: well think about that if if this is if we're in the mind of someone there's no physical body part anywhere they think that the arm is still there And when they try to use it, it's just not working. They get this weird sensation, right? In the same way, kind of like what you're talking about, maybe novels are gone, but maybe they just don't recognize it anymore, whether it be Alzheimer's, whether it be that it's actually been removed like this. The mind is a very tricky part, but the parts that used to process it, if we pretend that the hat maker is the guy that knew the skill of how to make a hat, and whether he lost that ability because he has Alzheimer's or or some other reason that he got a major head trauma, and he loses that ability well, that part of the brain is still there. That hat maker is still in your brain, but he no longer functions. And in the same way that the people in the story had to learn to do new things, like the ex-hat maker had to learn to do something else, the ex-ferryman had to learn to do something else, these characters have to repurpose how they operate in the same way that the brain has to repurpose how it operates when it no longer needs to operate that hand anymore in the phantom phantom limb syndrome scenario.
0: Do you also think that interpretation is important here as well? Like when we see color, what you see as green might not necessarily be what I see as green. So the interpretation in one's mind could also be an influence here as well.
1: No, absolutely. Um, a couple more scenarios. I, just, I want to go through them real quick, and then I want to hand it over to you for yours. But the tsunami, right? What what was the reason for that? What was the the, the point of that destruction? And if you're taking this in the view of, I'm looking at this as we're in someone's mind, I want to talk about the idea of either seizures or strokes to represent this, okay? Because if you look at what a seizure is, the definition of seizure is a sudden uncontrollable electrical disturbance in the brain. It can cause changes in your behavior, movements, feelings, and levels of consciousness, So if we view these people in that theme of they're representing certain things in someone's mind of their controls, and the seizure comes along, whether it be that or a stroke that comes along that kind of halts their activity, you have a complete halt of a person's ability to function at that point in time as well. During a seizure, if all of your controls and mechanisms in your brain are shut down and frozen through this this electrical signal you can kind of see that it represented it with the tsunami taking out this plants, or, or taking out the town where they're all kind of inhabilitated for a little bit of time.
0: That makes sense.
1: Well, and what I like about this one particularly, particularly for if you said, okay, if it's seizure, strokes, it can be either one. Here's where it gets really fascinating. Okay. So check this one. This is my favorite part. Do you know what split brain syndrome is?
0: No, I haven't heard of that.
1: So the brain's not one big blob, right? You got Two hemispheres, left hemisphere, right hemisphere. And you might right. hear people say, I'm left-brained. I'm left brain. Oh, I'm right-brained. Well, that's like a real thing. There actually are hemispheres in there. And the left brain and right brain typically have functions that they specialize in, but that doesn't mean that that action is the only thing that takes part in that part of the brain.
0: Right. Okay. I'm with you so far.
1: So there's a piece that connects these two brains, okay? They're not just floating blobs. There's literally a connecting piece called the corpus callosum, Okay. And what happens is the corpus callosum is responsible for helping to facilitate the, the, the two brains to kind of work together, even though they may have specialties, they both seem to kind of work together somehow. We don't 100% know how the brain works.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I've heard about this where like if it gets broken in between the two, the two hemispheres can't communicate.
1: Right. Right. So what happens to all of that information that used to or needed to have been shared? And do these hemispheres start to operate separately? Well, guess what? We don't do it too often. We, we used to do it more in terms of the severing of the corpus callosum, but it still might be needed sometimes today when drugs aren't enough or in extreme situations for people who have epilepsy or an extreme amount of stroke and or seizures, right? By breaking that connection between the two hemispheres, it helps the person to have a better quality of life or maybe they can still operate versus before. Maybe it was an overload of their entire brain and their entire They'd go through their own mind tsunami, if you will, right? But here, okay, so check this out. So the left hemisphere is generally considered the more analytical side, right? It's the ones that does the calculations, the figuring. I think it's responsible for language too. And the right side, okay, is more for spatial navigation, maze awareness, 3D objects, and sometimes considered artistic, I guess, in a sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, some people are like, oh, I'm, you know, I do my stuff with my right brain. I'm already, Yeah. I've heard people say that before.
1: So what's interesting is your eye actually is connected to one specific hemisphere. Left eye connected to the right hemisphere. Right eye connected to the left hemisphere.
0: So they're crisscrossed. So check
1: out uh, crisscross. But check out this experiment for individuals that had their corpus callosum severed. Okay. I cover one eye. Okay. So let's say I'm looking at my left eye, which is going to talk to my right brain. I show them an apple. They'll know it's food. They know they can eat it. They know what it smells or tastes like. They don't know what it's called. Now you'll have them open up their their right eye and cover their left eye, which connects to the analytical side or language processing side of the brain. They know it's an apple. They don't know what it's for or what it tastes or or what it smells like though. And that's that's because their brains can't communicate anymore, right? So it's the idea that sometimes you know the, the the analytical word side of things, and sometimes you know the purpose or the meaning side of things, but you've lost the other one when you can no longer communicate between your two brains. And you see that explored in this story. We have quotes like, anything I had ever felt about these flowers had already vanished from my heart. So she knows that they're flowers. But she doesn't know how she felt about them. She doesn't know what they smelled like anymore. Is one example in terms of having the analytical side, but not necessarily the the creative side, if you will.
0: That makes sense. Uh, see, that's the, the science that's explaining it that is not actually in the story that I think a lot of people miss. And that was something that would make them upset.
1: And another quote that kind of explores this, the meaning isn't important. What matters is the story deep in the words. You're at the point now when you're trying to extract the story, your soul is trying to bring back the things it lost in the disappearances. And even just kind of the scenes where she was at the uh the memory police headquarters so if we think about the memory police the policing unit of this mind if you will if we're in the mind of someone they're talking about how oh well that's in this department and we don't know what happens in that department that's over there the mind can be very separated and segregated from itself in the same way that some things were kind of explored here so I'm not saying that this interpretation is the end-all-be-all interpretation of this. I think this is a very interesting and unique interpretation to apply it, right? You you take it to the Inuits, right, Who who took memories. So if you remember the disappeared things and hid them in sculptures in the same way that memories might be suppressed in the same way that certain ideas might be in our mind, but we can't remember how to retrieve them. We have to figure out how to break them out of that prison. There's a lot of different ways to take this. I'm in the mind of someone interpretation for the story. That's actually really fun to do while reading.
0: I think that's the probably the best one. And that's the one that people are going to enjoy the most because it is rooted in the most science and can be understood. I think the easiest
1: yeah. Now, were you gonna go into war and totalitarianism?
0: I, I think that there's a little bit here for this. Um I think that a lot of people are gonna maybe latch on to the idea of the, you know, Anne Frank um and they're gonna Oh yeah. They're going to latch on to the idea of that this is a totalitarian regime that is, you know, oppressing their people and they're taking things from them. They're going to see this view of, oh, they're burning books. So that's, you know, Nazi-esque or, oh, the one child policy. And they're going to think, oh, Mao and and China and communism, because this is an Asian story. Um, I I just don't think there's a lot there. Um, And I think that a lot of people are going to be mad because not a lot is explained. Uh, And I think that, that's on purpose i think that is done to keep the government vague here because it it gives him a more of an air of you know secrecy and i think that that is something that the story does well but also is going to upset a lot of people uh, but it's
1: and and that's on purpose to your point too right it's supposed to be a faceless government because it's not about the government it's about the people's reaction to it I have no power against this faceless thing. I have no way to fight back to it. I just have to cope and live with it somehow.
0: Yeah, and I feel like here that she takes the government and she's saying that these people's memories are something malleable and that the government can change them and mold them to what they want them to be. And as your memories change and you forget who you are, it is like losing a piece of yourself as you're being taken over by the government, as they get rid of, you know, stamps and perfume and green beans, and you like those things, and they suddenly disappear. uh, You know, you're less, you're left at a loss here. Um, And I think
1: like censorship, right? Like, how you can see censorship in some countries.
0: Yeah. And I think that, I think that the the war thing, people are just going to be flooded with almost this nostalgia feeling because they want to latch on to something that feels familiar, especially nowadays with this idea, because a lot of people feel this just came out and it didn't. This story is nearly 30 years old, but it was just given to us in 2019 and being that a lot of people feel oppressed by their government or think that governments are oppressing people, they're going to latch on to this one. Very, very quickly,
1: right. Well, even then, in terms of war or in terms of governments taking things, you have the scenes at the end with them losing legs, right, losing appendages, the idea that that this conflict, whether it be war or whether it be an oppressive government, took something from me. Yeah. right I have lost something to that, and even even the the people that enforce it, the the memory police, the MP for us in english it translates this way i don't know what all countries and what all things it translates into other languages but mp military, military police.
0: police yeah yeah and it's right. it's hard so, well it's it's hard to read this and not immediately think of like ice right the uh, immigration police or think of them terrorizing and taking children from their parents because that's something that's so prevalent in our news today, people, I think, are going to latch onto that totalitarian, you know, government uh, locking kids in cages type thing.
1: Well, and, and, and what's the effect? It, it explores what will people do in the face of this power, this, this unequal power distribution. And much like the Anne Frank, you have in World War II— you had a lot of people from the Jewish population that were being hidden in basements, that were being transmitted and, and carried across country to safety. You got a little bit of that being explored too, right, with them creating this little room, where are you going to go, we need to hide you type of a feel, that in the face of power and that unequal power distribution wanting to take something something from you, what do you do to protect it? You hide it. And you see that with R. You see that with the Inuis and her mother, how she took disappeared things and hid them so that they could be passed down to other generations. And arguably, even the narrator, as a novelist, her job is to put down ideas and pass them down to other generations. And when an oppressive, unequal power distribution tries to take that away, it gives you a big sense of power and hopelessness.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, too, like if people didn't want to latch on to the totalitarianism, you could also see this as almost a fascist uh, because we see the similarities between like Mussolini and fascism, Italy. Here, um, almost that uh, idea of all of us should be the same and they're rooting out individuality through the story as they take away these people's memories and make them almost all carbon copies of one another.
1: It's like a really scary version of harrison bergeron
0: yeah yeah i mean i think right? harrison bergeron pretty scary too but
1: well we keep taking away or we keep handicapping you until we reach equality right
0: yeah and they're taking away i guess everybody's uniqueness in their individuality in this story
1: right that fear of loss and what does it mean to be me you see that with how the novelist reacts too well how will I write the story? Who will tell the story? I don't even know if I can tell the story anymore. This it's just really interesting the way it's explored with the characters that uh, this is a piece that is is more fun to try to break into these structures that we create or have meaning for us. It, it's, it's we're provided with this gelatinous, emotional feeling substance that we try to jam into these shapes And these boxes that try to give meaning to it is the best way I can describe the story.
0: Yeah. As I got to the end, I started trying to really reflect upon the story as a whole. And then it hit me that as it came to the end, am I the narrator? Is it me? Mm -hmm. Am I in Mm -hmm. this story? Is it almost like that meta uh, experience of this is like, is is this me inside myself and my own head? It's really where I kind of came to it as a a closure.
1: You know, I got a question for you. When you have dreams at night, like people that you know might be in it and and they have names, right? But sometimes there's there's people you've never... It's just a creation of your mind when you're having this dream, this person. Do those people ever have names in your dreams? No. I never have names for any fictional creation in my mind when I dream, ever. And, And I know some people do. And then when they do, it's supposed to be really important for dream interpretations. I almost got a little sense of that, too, where every character in this mind, this creation, this this fictional world of characters in in my interpretation of it, that with no names, no meanings, it it adds to that ethereal feel that this is all just a temporal, imaginary working of something such as as, as if I am the narrator. Maybe this is all in my mind, in a sense, too, with the no names it's kind of how I added to it.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. I like that point. One thing that I felt that maybe could have been lost here in translation is this idea of fear. And we fear what is special about us as an individual. And I know that I pride myself on, you know, my intelligence and my my ability to know things and read and learn. And I am a teacher. And in my dreams, I can't read. I can't write and I can't read. Like letters are all jumbled and mixed up. And I, and that's that's kind of scary, right? If you lose the one thing that makes you you.
1: Yeah, just like this novelist, right? Losing losing novels.
0: Yeah, losing right. novels.
1: Well, all right. This was this was a fun discussion. I think I think the discussion for me was more fun than the actual book itself, which I kind of knew going into it based on what I've seen from some other people's. Let's go into our subjective ratings.
0: So on this one, I feel like I think I'm just going to go completely subjective here. Uh, no analytical, nothing here. Uh, I. Was given the information beforehand that I knew that this was not a heavy sci fi based book. So I was fortunate enough to have that information. Yeah. And then as I read through this, I knew that I wasn't ever going to get that over explanation like I traditionally would in a fantasy book or something of how magic works. And so I was okay mm-hmm. with that, I wasn't accepting. And I don't know if I would give this as high praise as maybe others, but I would definitely give this a solid 7.5. I think that it's a great book, oh. and I think it's good upon self-reflection. And that's sometimes important for reading something, is, is self-reflection. And what you get out of it is what you get out of it, and you got to be okay right. with that. And your, your meaning isn't going to be the same as everybody else's, and that's okay.
1: Now, my answer might be a little bit shocking, because I'm a guy that lives for the analytical breakdown. I love it when things are very complex and have lots of allusions to other literature, to the Bible, to, to cultural norms and things. And this book has that. This book really, any book that's written from a thematic purpose behind how it constructs each scene is going to have that feeling. I'm going to go with a surprising answer here that I'm going to give it a six out of 10 because it has all of that, but it's missing so much more for me where plot, I don't care about plot. I really don't care that we it's open-ended. I really don't care that, that there really was no plot here. That I don't read for plot. I read for characters. And the character work in this, I felt was, in my opinion, just so weak. I had a hard time associating with it, even though there were a lot of fun analytical things in there. It brought it down for me. So I'm, I'm going to go with a 6 out of 10 on this one. But I don't regret at all my time reading it. I just didn't... Ha- it was like I wanted more from it and not, not from a writing perspective, but I just, it was missing something for me.
0: I could understand the, the lack of enjoyment on certain parts. I thought yeah, it, it was, was n- solid.
1: For sure. It was not evenly paced to throw out the, the reviewer term there. Right.
0: That's my <laughs> thing. The pacing. <laughs> I'm yeah. always the, I'm always the guy of, Oh, the pacing on this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, oh, <my laughs> The guess. music well, was awful. No well, good graphics. It, I, yeah.
1: Well, all right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this discussion. What did you guys think of the book? Was this like the greatest thing since life spread for you? We'd love to hear your thoughts on it, what you thought. And the interpretations we presented by no means were meant to be a complete catalog. Please share with us what you guys thought, what you guys took from it, because this is a very personal book, which is, there's something to be said about that. There's something to be said about how a book can connect with so many different types of people on so many different levels. So if you are down for literature discussions, like what we uh, kind of did here today, we'd appreciate you guys hitting that subscribe button to see you on future book talks. Una out.
0: Peace.